welcome to another episode of the Dark Horse Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carr. And I'm Kristen Johnson. This is episode 6.2. The second in the dreaded D-Word series. Which is, of course, centered around demons. In this episode, we talked to Carl Johnson and James Anito, who together formed a team called Duo Duo Demonology. Demonology. They've been giving talks and lectures, and they are, do I dare say it? (laughs) Funny as hell. And yet they're super informative. These guys have so much information. So you might have caught the our other interview with Carl and James on Bigfoot and the Bunny, our live show on United Public Radio. Uh, that went over really good. We had a, so much fun talking to them. So we decided we wanted to do a podcast and they agreed and we're very thankful for that. And uh, this one was a little bit more laid back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to hear some ice and glasses and you know, some <laughs> giggles and, uh, you know, it was kind of a laid back thing. I managed to We had a, a great time. Too. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, editing myself. But, uh, yeah, uh, it was really fun and um, still super informative. They're I mean, very interesting and very knowledgeable. Awesome. I mean, these guys are the best, you know. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about their background and then we'll get right to the interview. Carl L. Johnson has been investigating reports of strange phenomena for the past 47 years beginning with his association with noted ghost hunting couple Ed and Lorraine Waring. The original paranormal couple. The real OGs. As members of a team based at Rhode Island College, Carl and his identical twin brother Keith were called in to investigate the Perron family situation in Harrisville, Rhode Island during August and September of 1973. They were actually the people who alerted the Warrens to the situation. Forty years later, this inspired a motion picture titled The Conjuring, which we are sure that everyone is familiar with. Both Carl and Keith were featured in the first and second seasons of the Sci-Fi Channel series Ghost Hunters, leaving the show to better pursue their own endeavors. Carl has numerous other television credits, including the shows Paranormal State on A&E Network, The Haunted, and Finding Bigfoot, both on Animal Planet. Most Terrifying Places in America on the Travel Channel, A Haunting on the Learning Channel, and most recently, Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel for the 2019 Halloween Special. Specializing as a demonologist, Carl continues his exploration of the preternatural through the research unit Panorama Paranormal, plus his website, Demonology Incorporated. He writes and lectures on related topics and is well-versed in arcane New England lore. James Anito is a demonologist and a deacon through the Old Catholic Church who has worked alongside many other specialists in this field. James is also a paranormal investigator and researcher, as well as a member of Sanctuary Paranormal and the former founder of the Dominion Ministry. He has been in the paranormal field since the early age of 15, investigating graveyards and legendary surroundings in New England such as Mercy Brown, Rhode Island's most famous vampire, Land School, USS Salem, and Slater Mill in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. His knowledge of the paranormal came from reading many books in his early years, watching Unsolved Mysteries, Scariest Places on Earth, and then eventually Ghost Hunters, increasing his interest and knowledge of the field. After being in the field for the last 15 years, James has gained a great deal of experience from working with many well-respected members of the paranormal field and has over 400 cases under his belt. He has appeared on many radio and local television shows. James has also given scores of lectures at libraries and expos. James began a new level of his paranormal life when he began his studies in demonology and the ministry.
And there's something special about this particular podcast interview. We captured two actual EVPs during the recording of it. They aren't what you call Class A EVPs, but they are definitely something. They are there whispering words, though Chris and I are not 100% sure what's being said. So listen close and see if you can spot them. At the end of the interview, we will play them back for you and let you know the times that they occurred. So you can go back and play them in real time. question to you is what is demonology to you oh to me you know james and i will have similar answers to for instance that question but we depart at a certain point to me to carl demonology is the uh, systematic study of wicked spirits their uh, cultural traditions uh, their lore origins of those beliefs so uh I am an applied demonologist, as is James, meaning if people write to us, we will address their problems and concerns and questions. We may even go to a site. Uh, basically, it's a study, and our mission through duo demonology, and my mission through duo demonology, is to legitimize that study, make it a scientific uh, research, not just supernatural, not just speculative, not just believe what you read, something that was written 400 years ago. We're trying to bring it into the modern era and brush off the cobwebs. So demonology is a viable study. I think it has a place in our world today, and most people would not uh, know that. Yeah, that's, it's, that's my perspective on demonology. How about you, James? Well, it's hard to uh, beat the, the aspect where it is a study, and then, of course, the applied aspect of it where we are the, the person that is the being that comes in and involves ourselves with that person collecting data to try to supplement it to see if it is natural or preternatural. Um, so as a demonologist, when we're doing that, it, it, we, we are looking at everything possible in the natural realm that it could be before we determine it to be preternatural. And I think that is what is important of what a demonologist is. A lot of people think we're an exorcist or something else, but we're there to determine it, it is natural, more prevalent, and there any possibility of it being the paranormal. Like my my belief system, yes, I believe in God, but I also believe in 99% of the stuff that occurs in everyday life is natural, and the rest of it is 
paranormal, supernatural, preternatural. Yeah. Um, so it, it's hard for me to say that everything I've dealt with is paranormal. No, it's not. So that's to me what a demonologist is. I'm that person that comes in as the mediator. So if a team that is investigating the location, a residential case, and they are coming across something they don't know what's going on and they can't determine they're inexperienced uh, maybe even if seasoned they feel like there are signs of possibilities of evil or negativity you know the, the illustrious signs that people also misconceive and sometimes it is not evil but it is there it is over their head and they they seek somebody else to come on the boat with them and row the boat and try to help and determine what's what's going on with the client and that is with the demonologist as mediator with me um you know because i am a deacon with the united states Old catholic church um i am clergy uh, i am not an exorcist i'm not a priest i'm a deacon i can assist and i have assisted in that realm of being catholic clergy member that is of course more recent then, so I, as how long I have been part of the demonology field, um, but in the case of me being a demonologist now, it is for me to um, assess it, the case and then give it to my bishop or an exorcist if he is a priest, and it goes down a food chain. So, if somebody in my realm of things, I know Carl does it, does it, does it in the same aspect. He, he duels it. He duels it. He duels it. <laughs> the duos and don'ts of demonology. But in that same token, though, is I have to go to extra step. When I'm dealing with somebody, if they are claiming possession, I have to get psychologists involved, physicians involved. It is something that is mandatory with the Catholic Church when you're dealing with somebody, especially if they're claiming something like that. So, Maybe other demonologists want to do that, but I know like Carl and other demonologists that I know, like Ralph Sarchi or John Zaffis or other people, Keith Johnson, they, they tend to do work with the medical field. Um, but that is what a demonologist does. We work with those people. We work with all different kinds of specialists that kind of determine what's going on. And that, to me, is what a demonologist is, what demonology is. You know, I am also a theologian. You know, I, I study God, but a lot of people tend to forget Theology is a science because it is a study of something that is possible. It is not against the principalities of life. We have we live by principles of life and science. That is how science is dictated. So if we go by the principles of life that we are determined by, especially if you look at metaphysics or evolution and stuff like that, um, a good book is The Metaphysics of Evolution by Father Chad Ripacher. It's a great book. Um, but so in that in that tone, the study of God is is applicable to science, and it's been a debate for a very long time. You know, Saint Thomas Aquinas wrote the Summa, and it's a very very authentic uh, scientific exploration of God and the possibilities of God. So it you know demonology comes from theology or angelology, and of course homartology, which is the study of sin. And all these other eschatology, all these different things. These things are sciences, and people don't understand it to be. So even though we are demonologists, and I come more about a religious aspect because I'm Catholic, I still look at it in a scientific aspect as well. And I, I believe most demonologists do. 
and of course, people that apply the demonology, the study of it, do that. And that's what, to me, demonology is and what I do with it. Scientific, of course, is equated with rationality, but it's really just observational, looking at the world, looking at our environment, you know, cataloging, documenting, trying to make some sense of it. That's what science is. And it need not be in opposition to demonology, as we define it. But if, and that's where we are, where people, maybe a normal investigator, wouldn't look at those signs. We deal with those other So we board other people to look at this individual going through this possession-like stage, especially because we are demonologists, we deal with demons more so in that equated aspect where we deal with demonic possession. So us as demonologists, we bring other specialists that, aren't even paranormal invo- paranormally involved, right? where a regular paranormal investigator might not do so. So we get other specialists, psychologists, we get physicians, we get people that look at these individuals and document the possibilities of something happening un, you know, naturally, but unnaturally to them. Right. Maybe they're being sick. And I think like that's that. a better approach because you get more minds working on it. You get different perspective. Different but that's, this, that's science, though, yeah. right? That's science because science is having many different people see something occur, right? And that's how it becomes fact. If, if, people, if a million people see something happen, how is that? How is that? How is that not possible, right? right. And again, observational, observational. And James was saying that we have to kind of shift gears if we're going out in the field. We're switching hats so to speak, you know, we're doing our our analysis beforehand and and afterwards, but when we're on the scene, then we have to be kind of take a more subjective approach, you know, kind of put our intellects to the back and use intuition and try to blend that all together. Right. And intuition gets a little cloudy when we get into the scientific aspects, so we all know that it's essential part of what we do. You have to Um, be biased. You do. Yeah. You mentioned, um, the need to to appeal to like medical sciences and that that would be you know uh, psychiatry and that kind of thing to make sure the person you're dealing with is mentally stable am i am i wrong when saying that uh, definitely not you know a lot of people I, I i've been saying this a lot because i've become more knowledgeable throughout the years i i wouldn't have said this five years ago six years ago but i, I you know i learn and people sometimes don't aren't willing to learn what is out there and seekable. You know, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, performed exorcisms as psychotherapy on people. So it's been around for a very long time. Yeah. You know, so... One form or another. So medicine has been around for a very long time, but so hasn't the ideologies of possession and demons. Religion and science almost come neck and neck for longevity of human civilization. So yeah, psychology is very important. So is it medicine and trying to understand the chemical imbalances with people and understanding because the uh, dissociative identity disorder, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, a lot of these things can emulate possession. And And 500 years ago, this was all the the categories he just cited were all demonic possession. Because people were being taken over by another personality, mm-hmm. well, how? What else could you do but attribute that to demon invasion? Yeah, especially if you did not. Sure. That would have been science at the time. 
Yeah, that was their science at the time. Yeah. And guess what? That science was controlled by those. Actually, I don't not say this to not the Catholic Church. I am United States Old Catholic Church, but it was also, not because you're being recorded. But, dude. but it was also dictated by the Catholic <laughs> Church as well, a lot back then as well with these uh, with these ailments. It really truly was. Mm-hmm. They were so you know these people were sought out by the Catholic Church, and they and a lot of these inquiries, you know. Even though it wasn't the Catholic Church, look at the Inquiries Salem, look at the Salem witch yeah, trials. Yeah, that sounds suspicious. Like look at the Salem witch trials. Oh yeah, hysteria, man. You can categorize that. But that was mass hysteria. hysteria. But that was mass hysteria based upon also religion too, because, because guess they what? did it was not a, call it that. It was a testament. Yeah, they called it spectral evidence. Mm-hmm. Then they did not you call know. it, you know, mass hysteria or hypnosis yeah, yeah. or you know. Psychopathia. Well, those terms didn't. But it was a religious. Exist. It was a religious crusade, though. But it was land. It was land oriented. If you look but at. But now you're now. going back like more. But centuries. true, though. Yeah. But true. You, but you see it though. You see that. It's, it's go, it goes back a very long time. It's not just. It goes back, back a long time. Yeah. And I believe the Vatican collected every book that ever was about it. Oh yeah, I would love to get into their library. Ever was. <laughs> brush up on Latin, but I would love to get into there and Greek, but uh, oh. The vast treasures and the repository of knowledge that is owned by the Vatican. You can only yes. speculate, mm-hmm. but they do have. They have the stuff there. They do. They they they, they probably have things that are probably below the the conception of reality in your mind. That library book you lost in fourth grade. They probably have it at the Vatican. You know, they they, they have copies. They, they have ways behind locked doors. Yes. <laughs> It's truly the men in black. Oh, no, Judy knows what goes on behind locked doors. <laughs> what would you guys say specifically is a demon? Uh, an actual real demon? And I'm going to take you back, go back to Sumer and oh my what it means now. And Ancient Sumer and Sumerian cultures. Yes, uh, well, that's it's such a loaded question. It's the easiest and the most difficult because you have to become subjective to answer that question uh, because you don't have physical, not definite physical, empirical evidence. Demon is a wicked spirit. It's something intangible but presents itself. It's not physical, but it can do physical things. We think all demons are malevolent. If there are demons that do not resent the human race, then we don't know about them because they're not talking to us. Um, uh, much of this, as James was touching on, much of it proceeds from our own minds. You know, what we create, what we project, originates in our mind, and we understand it better if we make a projection of that. Okay, something exterior. It's a wicked spirit. Now we kind of, we don't know where it started, but we kind of understand it. But a lot of this gestates in the human mind, and it actually takes on its own evanescent life, becomes uh, becomes real. But as far as the origins of the belief in the demons, yes, you're talking about the first uh, cauldron of culture that we know of, ancient Sumer in the Mesopotamian region. Uh, they had their own system of deities and gods and devils. And the Hebrew faith, Judaism, actually springs from that because the Hittites and the Hebrews, they weren't even called Hebrews then, they had traffic with what was happening in Mesopotamia. And that was actually the origin of the Judaic faith, faith which actually, of course, sprung Christianity, you know, begat Christianity. So you've got Ahura Mazda, you've got the, you know, the Syrian Babylonia cultures springing from that. Thank you. So um, they had the basic system of a god, a creator, 
and a devil. You know, unique dichotomy uh, extant at that time. And we're saying, I'm rounding it off and saying three and a half to four thousand years ago. And you've got influence. You've got stuff starting to brew that's going to become Judaism. It's going to become a Syro-Babylonian. But it's all starting in this cradle, this cauldron of civilization. I mean, there were civilizations before, but they're very spurious and vague. But the, these we know more about because we've been able to decipher their alphabet and their writings. So they believed in the uh, beings that came down from the sky, the watchers. Well, actually, they weren't called watchers. That gets a little later. Um, but the end, then you get into the Nephilim, which is... That, the, I was know, just going to ask you that. Yeah. And that's just a little late. When I say little, I mean like within two millennia. You know, you have the, the Hebrew faith and the Hebrew culture. But it's all starting here from what we know. And uh, then when this is going on for a while, that these mercantile bands are traveling and they have commerce and interchange with what's happening in Sumer. And they start assimilating their beliefs, you know, the, uh, the high God figure and the lower regions, the devils. And you've got to have something to blame pestilence and famines on. How could God allow this so we have these devils? It's almost like the sun and the, the moon cult, you know, beliefs, like sun worshippers and the moon uh, subjugates the sun at night. Uh, then you have the Hebrews, uh, they weren't even called that at the time. Uh, this These band of mercantile travelers, they have their faith, and uh, they start to worship the god El. Yeah. Um, and there's another early devil called Ahiman, but you'll notice that linguistically there are similarities in these names and all that. But the Hebrews began by worshiping the god El. He right, now we're going back to like the Anunnaki. Ah, yeah. the Anunnaki, that's the word. That means like, you know, those who came from the sky. The sky, right. Yeah. Now, why don't they just believe in the like the sun god or this, this, this celestial being that watches over and governs the world? But then they have this, uh, at the, you know, now by our perspective, mythology, then belief that these beings, the Anunnaki, are coming down from the stars. And actually, that's what it means, you know, come from the stars, uh, those who came from the stars. That's that's kind of weird that that's going on. Why are you making her laugh? What do you do? <laughs> no. You know how much editing they're going to have to do? No, they're not. No, no, sorry. <laughs> I love this topic. I love this topic. I love this topic. Sorry. You know what's going to happen? You're going to say something, and I'm going to be having my sip. Of, yeah, I'm going to go. <laughs> the screen. It's happened before. Okay. Yes. But this is this is deep stuff we're talking about. We're talking about the origins of religious faith. Well, right, exactly. It's specifically a demon. And as long as there have been people, there has been religion or faith. Let's say I'm, I'm you know, encapsulating it's nomenclature. I'm calling it religion. But and as long as there has been religious belief, there has been belief in wicked spirits. The two are concurrent and they go hand in hand. So these Anunnaki. And I'm glad you brought up that word because it started a whole new subtopic with us. Uh, but they are gods that come from the sky, not the God. They are gods that come from the sky. And, uh, of course, then the Hebrews are assimilating this culture. And then we have books in the Bible, which later in the Council of Nicaea were, were uh, expunged from the Bible. And they became the Apocrypha. And you've got, uh, like, the Book of Enoch. Right. That just didn't jive with the rest of the book, uh, the books, 
So that was uh, expunged from the Bible, eschewed from the Bible, from Scripture. You know, it was considered not legitimate, but it still exists as the Apocrypha. And, uh, well, the reason that was not included in the Canonic Bible was because in the, the Book of Enoch, supposedly written by Enoch, uh, what, was, what was he to, uh, to Noah? Wasn't he something like Noah's grandson? I think so. And he's talking about the, the wheel in the sky and the celestial craft that come down. Why does God need a craft? Why does God go from one place to another? The traversing of physical space. Mm. Yeah. Um, when he's life yeah. itself. Yeah. And, and in that book is a very detailed and cogent description of what really seems like a spacecraft mm. that beings uh, proceed from and go back into. You know, they, ha they need a craft to get around. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's just fascinating because you wonder what reality is behind the faith or behind the myth. So if you want to uh, go uh, go run with that for a while. Definitely. Um, you've been waiting to. You've been chomping at the bit as soon as well, we're talking about these. I'm going to say space beams. No, it's not just the space I'm beams. To, yes. I want to come from a different perspective. And for the people that will listen to this show, of course, is that demons are necessarily – of course, the con a conception of evil Christianity. And yeah. what I'm about to say does not, of course, take me away from my belief in God and what you God has to You have to make a disclaimer from time to time. But, you know, you're just uh, you know, expounding on this theme. But the thing is, you, you approached it through the, the, the Middle Eastern region yes. uh, of, of religion, of three major religions, of course, where Judaism, Judaism, Muslim, and Christianity. Christianity the three major religions. In Occidental or, or Western, well, it's uh, Middle East or Western, Western, but now it's uh, Occidental. Now it's our culture here. Yeah. But, For the most part. In that same token, though, and you touched a little bit upon it, but what demons are, are in the necessarily, if you look at Sumerian demons and or Sumerian entities and deities and all these things like that, demons are a collective of all these deities from multi-beliefs that... Are, don't attestament to what God is, and they of course are not God. And of course, these are these deities that are, of course, some you know false, false prophets kind of, yeah. kind of thing. But in reality, though, um, demons more so. If you look at the New Testament, which was translated from is from Greek, right? Yeah. It's instead of Hebrew of the Old Testament. If you look at Greek influences in the New Testament, if you look at the etymology of the word demon, of daemon, daemons come from Greek mythology, which were watchers or seers that were over being overseers of the people and would report back to the gods on Mount Olympus and say, these humans are doing this. They were basically watchers, and basically that's where daemons were. In Greek mythology, Moni uh, monitoring the human race. They were monitoring the human race. Like we were important enough so, to watch and monitor. So, in, in, in a way, they were not benevolent or malevolent. They were yeah, they were neutral. Hmm. But in that they were same, more like truant officers, you know, yeah. so, you know, to the gods yeah. or to God, you know. But they weren't intrinsically malevolent, not trying to destroy the human race, 
we're kind of keeping us in check before we destroyed each but the, other. But the true definition of it is a spirit in some in some in some token. If you look up what daemon is, D A I M O N, mm -hmm. and there's also D A E M O N. But in that same token, though, is if you look at the influence of the Greek mythology in the New Testament, you see that because if you look at the Old Testament, there are ever rarely notices of the word demon or anything it is a serpent. There are some notes of evil, but until the New Testament comes, that is when you start hearing more about demons and, of course, expulsions of our mm -hmm. exit, you know, deliverances by Jesus, and you hear about this stuff. And, of course, there's the reasons for that, but, but you can also see the, um, the influence of that culture, of Greek culture, and pe people tend to forget Jesus spoke Greek. That was yes, the primary language back then um, in that area. His native language was Aramaic, but he would have to have known Hebrew, Aramaic, Hebrew, and he would have to know Greek. He was Greek, because, yeah. because that was a melting pot, mm -hmm. you know, in Jerusalem where he was. You know, but, many people were Greek speaking, but you and see he had many, to preach to them. But you see them in the influences of the Greek uh, Greek mythology within Christianity. Of course, yeah, you do see some influence. You see you some do. parallels, and of course, demons are one of those parallels because if you think about what angels are, they are watchers, right? Right. People forget this. Even though there are many subclasses and they're different, uh, angels are not one, just one being. There are many different beings of angels. Um, and of course, if they fall, there are many different fallen angels. Of course, we custom the devils or demons. So in that theory, of course, that they are watchers and in that same influence, even though they are demons are negative. But, and angels are positive and angel and demonology angelology and demonology is demonology is the study of wicked spirits and angelology is the study of it's like angels. taking a mirror and angling it in different but, angles different perspectives you know you got the angelologist and the demonologist but you know to give a legitimate study you kind of have to be both yeah if there's something about angelology if you're a demonologist because they are almost the same and same yeah. code and the same thing but where I want to say, and this is where my disclaimer was at the beginning, is a lot of these influences aren't just from Greek mythology. And one of the things people tend to forget to look at is there are, are diagrams um, of um, throughout the years of religion, right? What religion came first. Maybe like a chart. A saying, chart. Uh, it's, it's more like a tree. It's like a branch, and there's many branches of it. But many people tend to forget the oldest religion in modern civilization to this day is Hinduism. Predates right. Christianity, it predates Judaism, it predates Islam, all, all three of them together. It predates all three of them together. So you got to remember, you know where the root of exorcisms came from? Was from Hinduistic culture. Because they had the, um, they had the fervor, the, uh, or the, or the, um, yeah, Ferba. Um, I can't think of it's K U L A I. I can't. I don't want to mispronounce it. But the Ferba, there's a dagger, and what they would do, the monks yeah. would use the dagger to suck up the the entity. And often it was possessed. Yeah, the Ferba was a, or Ferba, however you yeah. pronounce, was. Um, it was usually a dagger, knife, you know, uh, like a, a thame. And it would have a figure carved in it, like mm -hmm. a demonic-looking figure. Give it given its personality, give it its soul. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. but it's similar to the uh, yeah. which is you know the Wicca Athame. Yeah. But Hinduism came way before witchcraft. Oh yeah. So, and well, I've and, heard people. I've heard witches say that that's the oldest religion. What Hinduism? The first one. 
Whereas, like I said, a lot of religion got like kind of pigeonholed into being pagan, right? So, like, we had all these different religions out there that later became titled as pagan, where they kind of had their own own thing. Like, we were watching uh, a documentary on Orkney Islands earlier today, for instance, you know, and they had their their own thing and they were building these kind of stone. Hobbit-like structures. Yeah, yeah, the, the stones, the Kalanish, for instance. You got all these stone things. Now, some of them are, of course, you know, astronomical oh, of uh, alignments of stones, you know, like sure, uh, sure, stone the celestial movements. Yeah. Some people are structures, yeah, where, you know, huts or worship centers or, you know, a uh, village. Others are just lines of stone and nobody knows what purpose they serve, like in Kalanish. And, of course, the most classic example, Stonehenge, and, Britain, why, why are they there? You can only kind of guess. I mean, there are alignments with, with Stonehenge. You can see that they were indicating the, the stars. The stars. But there were these standing stones that just uh, nobody knows their purpose. You can speculate. Were they for worship? They don't look like they were keeping in livestock. They're just right. sitting there, almost like like megaliths. Like these. They look like beings. Mm. They do. What do they represent? And the, yeah. the the knowledge of them is so remote, it's virtually non-existent now. Oral right. tradition has, has well, vanished from them, so we don't really know why they're there. Yeah. And that's conspiracy. And that's, 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 yeah. the, that's the conundrums of unsolved mysteries and the paranormal, you know, because... I, I guess part of my question would be, like, um, I know a lot of times, I, you know, later religions demonize some of the gods that were uh, not necessarily negative in those religions and those people. I mean, you talk about the Mesopotamians and, and that kind of stuff. They later became demons, and demons could be an explanation for some of the negative things that people did back then. Well, I think a lot of that comes from where they tend to say the demonization of other beliefs, uh, deities and uh, entities come, come, come to the fact that maybe they were conceived of the fallen, you know, because you got to remember a lot of angels and a lot of fallen demon names are from other cultures. Oh yeah. It, they, it's so like, it, people tend to forget yeah. that they, they, they incorporated out of belief systems, you know, like mm -hmm. I was talking about Hinduism, the, the concepts of Christianity and Judaism and Islam contain a lot from Hinduism, the light and the good and the bad, the dark, Yes. And the yang. So the, you you forget, people tend to forget a lot. A lot those thousand-year-old beliefs. And we're still aware of them now. Yeah. They're incorporated right. to our culture. Ten thousand-year-old beliefs. Ten thousand years is so long. That's the very beginning. Thousand. It's balanced. Hinduism is noted, and and people don't know, and people, and this is and this. These are things that you can look up, like animism. Animism is the very first religion. Or ideologies of a belief system, you know, yeah, because animism was uh, concept. Basic animism is the concept of everything's energy, right? Yeah. That's what animism is. Animism is now Latin, you know, it means the heart, or, or it can also be applied to the center. Mm -hmm. But originally it connoted energy, vital energy. By everything is energy, everything's center. It's just, so it's the same. It's the same thing because if you look at Hinduism, which Hinduism comes from animism more so than most other religions yeah. do, even though there are branches, look at the chakra points. Those are centers, and everything branches from those. You must read a lot. 
I just love religion. You know, <laughs> people, but people don't realize there's like 4,500 religions beliefs out there, and people aren't willing to learn these things. You know, like I don't even want to talk about African mythologies. Uh, Africani? You better not. Yeah, oh God, no! You think all that other stuff's crazy? But Africani, we're rabbit trailing that. Africani, though, Africani is like they have their own demons, though. Like you can, you know, again, the system of demons. Yeah, they do. But or maybe it's like back around to ask of what is specifically a demon. Is it a negative thing necessarily, or is it, you know, um, some other type of entity? Well, I use the word demon. Sorry to steal the no, thing from you. No, go ahead. You, you give me your interpretation. It might differ from mine. But I, I use the word demon because it's it's a central a central idea for yeah. most people. But like Hinduism's head is Horus. Uh, Jew, Jews have Diviks. Islam's have um, um, Jinns. But Jinns are also good or bad. They're elementals. Right. Um, so you know, there's there's all these different religions have their own interpretation of name. But a lot of the characteristics and a lot of the, like w what their intentions are mm. are the same. But people, a lot of ten people forget early Judaism had golems. Uh, uh, I, I was going to mention that. golem. I didn't think you knew what that but, was. He knows what a golem is. He knows. <laughs> but still, though, so but other religions have ideas of, yeah. of an evil and. I don't think you can get away from it. I, I, I think that is intrinsic to all faith that you and, have to have yeah. your above and your below spirits. As opposed to the celestial and yeah. your nether, and I think spirits. demons. I think demons are attacked from things that are many different things. Like I said, if demons are in fact fallen angels, there are many different fallen angels of many different species, or whatever you want to call fallen angels, because they are pure spirit entities. You know, people think demons have a physical body, but angels never had a physical body. There, it is. Pretty much set out there that they are pure spirit forms. So if they are pure spirit forms, that means they never had a physical body. So that means if right. demons were fallen angels or are fallen angels, that means that they are pure spirit form too. So, you know, we don't, of course, you know, we can only really know on a humanoid standpoint because that's what right. humans do. To Anthropomorphic points. Yeah. You yeah. know, we we identify with things that have arms and legs and a torso and yeah. a head. Right. We don't understand much else. It's very hard to grasp the concept. Of something that's pure energy but has a mind and is a being. It may be perhaps it's never Yeah, of a being. Yeah. So like it, and I guess on the same token, you know, as a demonologist too, we we deal with urology. You know, I worked with the case with MUFON, you know, because they brought me in originally as a possession case, but I was like, this is not something that I believe is possession or anything like that. And I really I, I gave it over to MUFON. You know, wow. so I, I I but we still Look at aliens as a uh, humanoid-based species as yes. well. But if you look at what was the movie we were talking about, I forget the name. I always forget what? the name. But they were pure. They were they were they were spirit form aliens, though. They took over, possessed you, but they didn't have a physical body. Was it the fourth kind movie? Are you talking about Close Encounters? Yes, of with the, the fourth of the fifth kind. Fifth kind, but they were they were. No, actually, that was Close Encounters of the fourth kind. Fourth kind. But they remember they possess oh, the person. No, sequel, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. guys know what I'm talking about, though? Yes. Oh, that was a scary. Well, they they had a body, you know. <laughs> but what was coming in the room and speaking in ancient Sumerian? What was doing that? Uh, but it, they it, had to come into the room. 
but so but I, I I'm not saying that demons did exist. I'm not I'm not saying that the uh, aliens don't exist. And if aliens existed, of course they are maybe as old as demons. Yeah, demons. We, they don't seem subject to angels, time like we are. If angels are really a part of God's core, they're not core, temporal beings. And God created all right. Angels have been around for a very long time. They've even been around predating before even aliens because they were a part of God's first creation, right? So that means they well, even, I, that means they even predate aliens in technicality. If God is the creator of all, right? This is uh, very speculative now. I, but it's not speculative if God created all in concept. And you could say if you, you can could say it to that belief system, <laughs> yes, you could say okay. Well, okay, Judaism. We'll figure, we'll handle this. Don't worry about Judaism, it. Islam, and Christianity all believe in God, right? Yes, they all believe in and God. And they all they uh, revere Abraham. Yeah. Uh, Abraham originally became Abraham as the father of their faith. Hinduism believes in belief in Supreme God. God is still the title of their God, Supreme God. Hinduism is Supreme God. Right? So still, you know, it's part of every belief. So. Well, the aliens go way back. Oh, boy, I've got, if I ever am abducted, I have so many questions. I know, but... No guarantee they're going to tell me the truth. I, I don't think my human pea brain can wrap itself around what their answers would be. You know, but uh, what are you guys? Are you immortal? How come there are spacecraft visiting the Earth uh, 500 years ago, and they appear in Renaissance paintings? Uh, they must go back further than that. I mean, how old, you know? But they still would know old language if if it was. We are pretty, uh, we're a pretty bitching race, but I just don't think we're so interesting that you can't figure out the human race. Yeah. If they've been observing us for millennia, you know, what else do you need to know about us? What motivates us? What drives us? You've got the chimpanzees pretty figured out, so I think they should know about us. Well, do we really know? Because we, you got to remember. I think I know chimps pretty well. Well, we got. Well, we got to. I think Well, we got to remember. We found a species of gorilla only a hundred years ago, right? The mountain gorilla was the. So how well do we really know monkeys and chimpanzees and gorillas? If we, I don't know them personally. No, I don't. Still, though, in the same token, though, you know, do we really know? So. We don't know what like, goes on in their I, mind. We don't have the chimp I do experience. Believe, I do believe aliens have probably visited Earth, but do I believe a lot of things that people believe in, like the why Stonehenge exists are for aliens? No, I just think it is the concept of they, yeah. they didn't have compasses back then. That was their ability of compasses back then because right. that's that's your mind. Have you ever heard of the Baghdad battery? You think that was by, yeah, created by that, aliens? Yeah. No, yeah. it, was, it was created. created I think knowledge uh, evolves. Yeah. Then, it is, it's, then it's forgotten. Knowledge becomes forgotten. What is it? What? I said maybe it powered the probe. <laughs> <laughs> they have an well, Maybe that was an ancient probe, yeah. <laughs> but, still, but still, people take it and always want to jump to the unnatural because in well, reality, reality, for most humans, Aliens are natural. It's 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 not conceivable. It's not possible. Even though it is much natural, because well, they, out of everything that exists in this universe, you think we really are truly the only thing that lives, not looks like us, but lives. I think it's unconceivable. Well, you can you can speculate all you want about this. No, well we found we have we have found we have found specimens, and that is speculum. You found them specimens. Oh, specimens. I'm sorry. <laughs> Specimens of what, man? What? what have you? <laughs> you lost yours. 
Yeah. Son uh, of a gun. Yeah. You son of a gun, you. Yeah, the motor said pro. No, <laughs> no you, you said, said you pro. said pro. I said nothing about pros. You're talking about the bad dad battery. He, bad, he turned that into a pro. <laughs> Probes are bad memories for me. Yeah. What? Things have been what vibrating for centuries, yeah. apparently. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> You're not talking about artifact. You're talking about <laughs> you're talking about implement. What's in yeah. the bedroom drawer? <laughs> <laughs> now we know something. Yeah, uh, boy, the information is on your show. <laughs> we know each other so much better. There's more than one way to conjure a demon. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's why I got you guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pulling it out of another reality is what you're doing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> James, I wanted to ask you a question about that, about the MUFON case. Yeah. How did you feel? Like, why Why did you give it to MUFON? Did you feel it wasn't a, a demonic spirit? You thought it was an alien? This is interesting to me because I don't know this, this story on this. Well, all I could say it was in Massachusetts. And uh, I was brought on because they, this person was losing time. Their personality changed. Um, they were... Of course, acting different, of course, that due to their personality, but they were, uh, they just wanted to sleep all the time. Um, it, it, it just felt like they were, they were, they were also becoming anti religious, like they weren't practicing, they weren't going to church, like they, they were very, uh, very religious, they would go to church and um, they stopped going to church. So they taken, of course, all these signs, and, yeah, you know, that oh my god, which you would normally equate yeah. with some demonic yeah. oppression, they, leading to yeah, possession. and of course, they dabbled in the not in the cult and so to say, but they dabbled in paranormal, and of course, within that, they so you got all the formula of demonic they, possession, yeah, they, they have all the formula, the natural things people would jump to the conclusion of that it's a ghost, an attachment, or you know, it's a demonic entity, and. You know, of course, I get called in because it was that was the best thing they could do because they're bringing somebody else in to look at it. And a fresh mind, their minds were, they weren't understanding, they weren't collecting any data, but they also they felt like this person wasn't lying. Like, like their personality changes. Like they've talked, they interviewed this person. Like, why what's going on? Um, you know, like how they've just appeared in certain locations. Mm -hmm. Um. And or would just wake up randomly. They would do something they they wouldn't be doing it anymore or something like that. So like like just natural things that you jump to the conclusion of demon. So but they felt like this person was in line, so they decided to reach out to me. And I came in. And I was probably on that case almost for a year before I ever got Mufon involved because you know I. I did not know what was going on myself, you know, I didn't feel like this person was lying, of course, as myself, but I also didn't really know if this person was being influenced because, you know, sometimes demons aren't as theatrical as you believe them to be. They are very they are, they are tend to be more manipulative. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they, they do linger a lot longer than they do jump out sometimes. So sometimes they may maybe not make an appearance when somebody's there. And sometimes they don't give up so easily. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe, okay, nothing's happening. Like, I wasn't collecting anything either. There was nothing out of the norm. But just listen to the listen to some of the details, like what was happening. And, like, he would have kind of, like, flashbacks or dreams uh, of seeing something. But it wasn't the normal formula of, like, what people see with demons or something evil. It didn't seem like it was evil in characteristics. 
It just seemed like there was a presence. Um, but like did I said, it sound like an abduction or yeah, why, why did uh, Mufan? Well, I didn't. I didn't jump to that conclusion. You know, I, I like I like aliens and I like ufology and of course like cryptids and stuff like that. But I also don't do it all the time because ufology is a very expensive habit. It is. It's more expensive even than more than ghost or Bigfoot. It is very expensive to do ufology stuff. Yeah, that is. Um, need some equipment. We do. That. So I don't really dabble in it. I know I know the basis, but it did sound like abduction later on. But I was trying to unravel: is this a demon first? Because that's my background. Right. And I go through many steps. Sometimes I've been on cases for years, um, helping a client, even with a non-demonic case, just a negative spirit. Um, so, um, you know, I didn't know how long I'd be dealing with this person until I could figure out what their, their affliction was, what they were dealing with, but I didn't feel like they were crazy. I didn't feel like, um, they hit a slump in their life. Like they had everything going for them in their life. You know, they, they weren't in a bad, they, like their relationship wasn't in the hole. Nothing bad was happening to this person. Like but so, but. I eventually just said, all right, what can I do? And I eventually reached out to somebody that knew somebody connected to MUFON, and they got them involved. Um, but the one thing is, is most people, if you deal with MUFON, once they take the case over, you pretty much, if you're not part of MUFON, you're not part of that case anymore. So I never heard anything more about it. I never reached out. I thought, I thought at that point it was over my head. And I felt like they, if they needed me and they didn't feel like it was something that they couldn't handle or document, then then they could call me back. But I never heard anything back. But I eventually got them involved because I didn't believe it was a spirit. I didn't believe it was a demon. I didn't believe it was some sort of deity. I didn't believe anything spiritual on the spiritual realm of things. But it had to have a label. It had to have some kind of name. Well, I feel like that person. Out. I felt like that person was being abducted. To be truth and honest with you, and say it out, I, th- I think that person was being abducted. I, I believe that person was being uh, experiencing something out of this, out of out of this earth, not celestial, but out of this earth, extraterrestrial. Exactly, That's- like you mentioned, Carly. We almost have to, as humans, label things and give them these labels, you know, and then they, they fall into certain stereotypes. You know, but the stereotypes do actually cross over based on the event that occurs, right? So when we say, you know, this could be a demon, this could be an alien, you know, nobody wants to connect it necessarily on the travel channel, but they might, you know, and maybe that'll be the next step. Who knows? Could be. It's difficult to align demons and and extraterrestrials. They seem like two different, uh, yeah, two different studies, actually. Well. We, we lack proper nomenclature in this. We, we don't have all the terms, but we need our labels because they're like rungs in a ladder. They're associative. And, you know, it's uh, I've tried to get away from labeling things. I, well, we don't know what they are, so let's not give it a name. But you, then a minute later, I'm saying the demon or the spirit or even the, the entity, you know, it's got to have some kind of name that would we're dealing with imperfect and limited knowledge. So you know, we apply these names, these, these words, these terms. Mm. So, yeah, it's limited. Yeah, but they're all interconnected in some way, too. You know, I think we use these words because it is easier to process and uh, 
to understand and talk to somebody about something when you have something to uh, yeah. formulate a sentence, you know, because, you know, you, you, you could use the word celestial and use the word extraterrestrial, but in, in a way, a demon could be extraterrestrial because technically a demon, a demon is beyond this earth. Right. It's beyond the realm of this earth, and it's also beyond this dimension. I think one of the fortitudes of uh, uh, pop culture, a lot of people tend to forget, where some similarity between alien and demon is the movie It. Pennywise is an interdimensional being, <laughs> but he has a lot of the formal uh, formal uh, characteristics. characteristics of a demon because he plays on your fears. Mm-hmm. And he uses that against you to feed on you, which a demon right. does. Right. Some, some ethereal. ethereal. Yeah. yeah. It's not, not necessarily a human. human mm. But in, in, in a way, though, aliens are inhuman as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so That's right. They're, they're not us. They're something different, something removed So from this, us. there are many different similarities there are there are very many different similarities but there are also a lot of differences too and i think that's why of course we have to have these names because if we said this if we talked about this thing that took over somebody that that is abroad it, 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 it just but we actually know more about yeah, aliens we no we assume more about space aliens than we do about demons because and even the demons are. I don't know uh, about that. I think aliens anthropomorphized. I think aliens became more popular when science, the science science fiction boom happened. Yeah. Uh, demons and alien demons have been around in ideology more than aliens have ever in concept. The science fiction is what made aliens the craze. And you think of a Dibok or, 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 or you know these uh, Hebrew uh, spirits. Uh, they're uh, they're not body. You know, they're, they're, okay, more, they're scared. Where are you going? I gotta get a drink. All right, we're gonna talk now. <laughs> and that kind of gets back to the original question I, I asked about what is a demon? Is it a something that is negative necessarily? Or has religion demonized previous religions? And, you know, I, I, certainly they're known for demonizing the pagan religions and their really? God. So, this way, it's a matter of perspective. Yeah, a lot of these demons, you know, they become inconvenient because they are believed in, they are, uh, they are worshipped, they are uh, petitioned to intervene in human affairs and stop plagues and blights. And then another culture uh, supersedes the past one, and suddenly you have, like, uh, Apollo becomes uh, Apollyon, and uh, you, you've got, the, they are... Uh, they are subverted. The former gods are, to a degree, they are subverted. And if you look at a like a medieval, when I say medieval, I'm talking about probably early Renaissance. You know, we're talking about uh, 14th century. You've got this roster of demonic names, and by by gum, they sound like uh, like Greek mythology, Greek mythology. And the real, the the basic difference, the essential difference between mythology and theology resides in one's degree of acceptance. So yesterday's myths are, you know, mm. or uh, yesterday's gods are now the devils. They can become that. Uh, they're pagan. They're they're subverted into demons now. Yesterday's yeah. uh, beliefs, yesterday's theology becomes today's mythology. Archetypes. Yeah, yeah. the archetypes are consistent. Yeah, yeah of course. And you, and you look, of course, look at like you said, the you know the people, the Greek Greek mythology, Greek really, and of course, I said it earlier. 
but of course you look at the incorporation of Catholicism, um, look at the Roman 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 mythology. Guess what? That got stolen from. Yeah. So look at what the Saturnalia. Look at Roman Christmas. Right. Roman Catholic Church is the biggest church in the world, right? So look, Roman Catholic. Look at what a lot of their things came yeah, from. But keep in mind and, in the European theater, the you yeah. know the immense power of the church in those days. Mm -hmm. And then you have this pivotal time of the uh, the Council of Nicaea in 325. And Romans were pagan at one point. And what's happening around right. that time? You know, it the was. Emperor Constantine or Constantinus, mm -hmm. you know, legalizes Christianity. Of his mom. Makes, it, makes it the straight. Because yeah. his mom. You yeah, know right. about that, Helena, his mom. Yeah, yeah. And his mother, Helena, when she was 80 years old, she went on a pilgrimage mm. to the Holy Land. She comes back with a piece of the true cross, mm. you know. Yeah, they say she might have brought the grail, the Christ cup back, you know. Oh, naturally going to the Knights Templar and... Oh, know. yes, let's talk about them. Which I is, love which, those guys. Which is, which, well, which is, in, in some way, this is all a form of demonology, because... Yeah, we're jumping around talking about, like, and, interesting topics, because but it he, is incorporated into the, under the purview, the umbrella of demonology. Yeah. That's how so much versed in these. You have to. You have, you have to, to be versed in origins. You do. So... Have we answered your questions about what essentially a demon is thought to be? Uh, we can give the Occidental interpretation, the Western interpretation. They're evil spirits. They uh, come from uh, beings that were once angelic, celestial beings. And in the great conflagration and the great revolt in heaven led by Lucifer, they sided with Lucifer. One third of the heavenly host sided with Lucifer. They were overpowered. They were cast down into the nether regions. They became the demons, hmm. their leader being Lucifer, who became Satan. That is a very classic interpretation of what you could call Christian mythology, hmm. but it is embraced as truth, so it's not yeah. mythology, it's theology. Yeah, and Christian theology is based on many other different mythologies. Yeah. And that's why you have the demon names from different other belief systems, because it incorporates a lot of what became before right into its consequences. Right. And as we talking about fallen angels and, and names when we say things like say the demons of the Goetia, are they fallen angels or are they something yes, else? They would be fallen angels because the well, fallen angels with interesting origins. Yes, they in some kind well not everything of what Solomon was able to summon was technically Demon, of course, like you know, there's things that were quoted as demons. Um, you're talking about what they really might have been. Really, I've heard that Solomon yeah. constrained the demons to build his temple. Well, he called a dragon. Well, a dragon's not a demon in reality, right? You wouldn't think of, well, of course, in Hinduism, a dragon is very evil in, in, in their ideologies and also good as well. So it could be different, you know, um, and how you look at it. So, I, yeah, I guess. I guess that's hard to look at it in that way, right? Yeah. Well, I gave you a very classic uh, interpretation of a demon that most people could identify yeah. with if you ask what a demon is. You know, uh, you can define it in different ways. Demon is thought to be generally an evil spirit. You know, we you can debate their origins, yeah. but it's something, uh, something insubstantial, can behave in a physical sense, mm -hmm. physical propensities, but yeah. is not... In its essence, physical. Yes, yeah, it's not a physical a, being. It's a thought form. And we hear about the ones that bother us, the malevolent ones. I don't know if all demons are evil because I haven't met a good one. You know? yeah. We don't know. They 
They also seem very interested in the human race. Yeah. I just don't know why we're so interesting. The extraterrestrials are so interested in us. They've been watching us for millennia. The demons are in an internal struggle or like a... Well, they hate us because... Yeah, it's a temporal yeah. struggle, but they hate us and they're trying to, you know, destroy the human race, God's greatest creation. And all these, they, they seem interested in us. Yeah, yeah strange that the nature of evil. Yeah, but because we see ourselves in a humanocentric sense, we are uh, the center of the universe. We yeah, are yeah. God's creation, God's greatest creation, yeah. in that we can understand good and evil. Yeah. So uh, that's... That's why we're very uh, important and essential to the yeah. to the great scheme of the cosmos. And every and everything that came f before is the writing of man as well. So yeah. You no, know, we have to take a lot of the things that. And I'm not advocating that you know, strict interpretation either. No, I'm just yeah. trying to explain it. So you know, but you, I, I also tend to believe that you have to take a lot of what you like. I didn't believe in demons at one point in time. But I dealt with something that I could quote to those characteristics and could what people have dealt with before and that feeling, that immense feeling that I felt. And I don't really, I don't really say I'm clairsentient, clairaudient. I don't think, I don't, I don't try to relate like to things, yeah. any of it, anything with sense. Um, so you know, I've I, dealing with that and seeing the people and the, the change within those people. You know, I, I came to the realization these things do exist, and it, you know it. And for some people, realization of these things existing um, c could uh, deter their 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 reality, could affect them immensely. But it actually made my faith stronger because it made me realize that if something like this exists, there's yeah. many different possibilities. And if there's a lot of possibilities, that means that... Well, obviously, it yeah, contradicts you know, and defies logic yeah. because you can't have... Logically, you can't have these invisible things, no. you know, with minds uh, in, right. in the human race, but yet they seem to be. Jeez, yeah. if you're not clairaudient or clairsentient, how do you understand if it's an evil spirit or a demon, an alien, say, I'm going to love that being? Well, like I said, I, a lot of that comes from the data collection. You know how the reaction of the, the the being that you're dealing with reacts. If it is a spirit and it is there, or if it is transient, like if it's a transient possession, the demon comes and goes from the person. Um, you know the balance of the soul. You know that person is able to have their consciousness at that point because they're in control by free will. If not, that entity is in control because they were able to. to to subdue that their consciousness and it was able to control them so uh it's hard you know it's uh, i really think when you're dealing with things like this for a long time i think your body just comes accustomed i you can call it a sense i guess yes but it, 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 it but you wouldn't call somebody that goes to work every day and they work with assholes every single day and i know this will be on your show you don't have to cut that out because this is a great word you, you can say asshole you can go to work every day. You can go to work every day, and everybody's an asshole. And you feel that you you you're stressed out every day. You go to work because you're the people you deal with. Would you would you say that's a psychic ability? Or would you say that's just the that we we have that naturally as people? Natural sense. Intuition. You know. Right. Natural sense. So 
question. So and certainly feel, the empath words that gets thrown around a lot. Yes. So I, I feel like that I've come accustomed to being around different people, around different situations, and the times that I have dealt with the demonic entity, I have felt nothing like I have before. Uh, in that so it does sound like you're getting, like a negatively influencing person. Yeah. It's well, not, not I don't become negative, but I just feel different. I mean, you could say outside, you could say yeah. you could say that to correlate to clairsentient, clairaudient, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't always hear a spirit. You know, I, I, I to, to, to be honest, yeah, I've probably audibly heard things. Well, I have, yeah. of course, definitely. But it's always without warning, though, that I hear it. It's just you know, spontaneous. And, but what's interesting is when other people hear it. Yeah. So I don't like to correlate and say I have any of those things, but I think over time my body has become accustomed to understand the differences. Um, I've been around yeah, negative yeah, people. Yeah. I've been around evil people. I've been around true evil people, in, in, in my opinion. People that would do people do dirty. They would kill people. Um, you know, so I've been around those kind of people. So I know being, how being around those people feel. Yeah, and so you you yeah, assimilated that, assimilate that you know, in the times I dealt with it because because it's a yeah. survival tactic. You gotta you exactly. know there's something that it means well it's called it's a chemical reaction <coughs> of my brain called a fight or flight. And every yeah, time, that's every exactly time, what it is. Yeah, every every time I've ever been in those situations, that chemical imbalance came to my brain and, and said, "Dude, get out of here! You gotta get out of here!" But yeah, the, the person I am is like, of course I'm a dummy. I'm gonna stay here. I'm a dummy. So because I stay can't, there because I have care. I care, yeah. but I care. I, yeah. I'm there to help that person as, as any way I can. So, so you may not be able to intellectualize why do you feel like you say there's yeah. no reason for me to be wary of this person, but later on you analyze yeah. it and you think maybe, yeah, it was something about this person's eyes and their manner. But, little cues, little little subtle things. But not, I told no, you this is a counterproductive. Sure, I, sure, I never felt sure. like... I, and yeah. I and those and the demonic entities that I've dealt with were, are single digits, in my opinion, single digits. Which gets me to my next question. Oh yes, what you got? She's <laughs> gonna ask how many demonic cases. Nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, we were so prepared. Okay. The same question I asked on Bigfoot and the Bunny. What is an exorcism to you, James? And have you been present in an exorcism? Um, to answer your second question fast and quickly, no, I have not part, been part of the solemn rite of exorcism. I've been part of a minor rite of exorcism, which is um, an exorcism over a house. It's a very extreme blessing over something that of a place that has demonic infestation. That is what a minor rite of exorcism is. It's done over a place that has demonic infestation. Um, a solemn rite of exorcism is done over a person that is possessed. Um, you can do a deliverance over somebody that's oppressed, but you can also do exorcism, the solemn rite of exorcism, over somebody that's oppressed as well. But no, I've not been a part of the solemn rite, which is done over a person. Um, I've been, like I said, the minor rite. Um, what exorcism is to me is basically um, a, a very rigorous ritual that is done over a person. Um, because where possession occurs and where people misunderstand possession and the ideologies and what, what exorcism is. Um, like I talked about Hippocrates earlier and how he was the follower of medicine, how he performed it as a psychotherapy. Right. Uh, in some ways, 
we have our personal demons and our inner demons, and that can influence us. But I do believe demons and the, what we, of course, just talked about exist um, in some nature and format. And Absolutely. I think how demons possess an individual is, of course, we have free will. That is something that we can notably say. We can, I can go outside right now and make a decision. It could be a smart decision, it could be a bad decision, but I can make a decision, right? Free will. So I think that anytime we make a decision, um, we are we have a repercussion uh, of that. If we make a bad decision, if it is trying to talk to something that is unseeable, you know, there could be a repercussion. Generally where, not advisable. Where, right? you, where you could be affected by something that's unseeable. You, it could be a demon, it could be a negative spirit, right? Absolutely. So... In that in that same token of that experience of you don't not know what you're speaking to, it's um, and a lot of people just want the thrill. They want the experience. They want a book. I've had so many people yeah. say when I talk about my experiences with the you know demonic encounters, they say, "Boy, I'd love to see something like that. I'd love to see something move across the room. You know, I'd love a spirit to talk to me. Oh, I want you know, because it's not happening in their house, but the same people." If they had an audio recorder going in their house, they heard a spirit voice talking, and they're not going to want it. Right. Uh, in particular, if they weren't expecting it. Yeah, yeah unexpected. And, and there's the stages for the reason. You know, people tend to forget the stages of demonic, uh, demonic haunting. There's infestation, oppression, and possession. You know, the oppression, uh, the infestation is the target of the person they think they could uh, manipulate the most. The oppression is them manipulating that person and breaking that person's free will down. And that once that person's free will is broken, and and many people don't realize it doesn't have to be something like they come out and say, oh, demon, take over me. But it could just be a subtle where they at their breaking point, they say, I can't do this anymore. That is an invitation for that entity to take over that person. And that's where possession occurs. So what an exorcism is, is basically a rigorous ritual for that person to take over their body again, because they have invited this being, um, what we call a demon, um, through a rigorous uh, process of being broken down. And an exorcism is to be able to get that person's mentality back, where they're able to have a faith again and a structure to themselves and are able to overcome whatever is manipulating or afflicting them, whatever word, or even abusing them. There's many words for what uh, this entity does to this person. But basically, you have to get that person's uh, free will back or that person to fight because uh, through an exorcism, of course, even though I have not been part of what I've watched vid videos on true exorcisms, I've read many books. You know, my bishop is an exorcist. Um, I am to be an exorcist one day. Um, but in the same token is, you know, you, you see the change, you see what goes on within that exorcism. But that the person tends to come in and out, you know, you, that's what transit possession is. When that person is able to overcome and fight, you're able to hear that right. person. So that and, person is not lost at that stage. Yeah, they're right? not lost in that stage, but that's what perfect possession is. But perfect possession has only happened probably, I uh, count on one hand, probably maybe that I know of. That's that's been that's been documented. Mm. So you know, perfect possession is, of course, that person's free will is diminished. They're a vegetable. That demonic entity has true control of that person. 
and basically um, that person is most likely that that human body is most likely going to deteriorate fast. Well, there should be rules against that, shouldn't there be holy? No. rules against that why no. should that be forbidden well it's not forbidden because you gave up your right when you say i give up you you have given up your hope in god mm. and that's the point of that you you've given up hope in life and the beauties of it and that of course that is a debate and it's been a debate for a long time but that is that is why because you are given up hope mm. if you believe in god and i truly do after so much of a long time of struggling it if you look at it, that belief if it, it, you should not allow something like that to take over you. And, of course, I, I know people have their internal struggles, and I'm not disagreeing. I had my own battle with something because I let my ego well, get the best in me. I'm human. But, we have no battles. But that, is, that, but that is the debate of it. That is the debate. That is why that the, there can't be rules against it because there are rules. We have our own free, free will. Yeah, we are in a struggle, in a dark place, but we always got to remember, and of course this is uh, something that we always got to remember, there's always a light at the end of that tunnel. And you say always, and that's that's that, and that's why that. that's why the debate of suicide is yeah. always a thing too, because suicide and of course the invitation of something long. If somebody has given themselves over and has given up, yeah. I resign. The depression is too great. Yeah. <clears throat> Let the entity. Mm -hmm. I can't fight it anymore. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Perhaps that person is lost. Yeah. Whereas in suicide, of course, you can't come you back. Can't come that. back, but. <clears throat> But what, at what stage is the person, and it's an individual basis, but at what stage is the person totally beyond reclamation, can't come back? Well, well, I think, think of the classic Annalise. Well, Annalise McKell was in perfect possession. The reason that she died was because of malnutrition. They, they didn't have a, a proper doctor involved. And, you know, <clears throat> and, and her within her transient possessions and during her exorcisms, she was not, uh, because of the process, she was not taking food down. And they should have had a doctor there. And they did not, and that is why they went to prison, the priests. Mm. And that is why in Germany for a long time, exorcisms were banned. And it was recently banned again because of another death in Germany. <coughs> oh, recent? I didn't a know recent about that. A death in Germany, yes. There was attributed um, to possession or to, the, to, the to, of to, due to an exorcism. But Annalise McKell died not because of her possession, but she died because of malnutrition, which occurs. we got to remember, and I think this is where people... If we call demons evil, right? Mm. Stress, yeah. is a, uh, stress is a negative emotion. Stress is a negative thing, right? Look at what stress does. It causes cancer. It causes illnesses. It causes many things that can kill us, right? Great. If, if a, a demonic That's entity wrong. is pure evil in, in, in ideology, it, 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 it is a part of our body. It, it, it uses us. Our body's going to deteriorate, correct? Have you seen that in process? Correct. I've seen somebody starting to deteriorate. I have maybe not in perfect document possession, documentation. Yeah. Like Annalise McKell is a perfect example of it. Yes, she was going through. Um, I think true possession. I think she was going through transient possession. But I also think there was medical issues involved, and because of those medical issues, and because of what she was going through, there was a mixture of things that caused her death. And I think because what was influencing her and what was involved in her body with her medical things is what was causing her death and what causing her to deteriorate. And that's why I said if there is a perfect possession, it is a very serious thing because of perfect possession, that person's body is going to deteriorate. Could you imagine if, what stress does to us? I bet they would develop that body would develop yeah. cancer, would develop many different. Well, it weakens your immune system. It, ways. Like it, it seems to almost go to self doubt. You know, yes. just two simple words. You know, self doubt. 
and that self-doubt is exactly what's being explained. Well, the, the exorcist can become the catalyst, can be that voice and help the person to find their inner strength, but he's the, you know, he's generally a male, he is the catalyst, and he's this voice coming and saying, no, the demon does not have power over you. You must believe that faith is stronger, that God's intervention is stronger. Well, the exorcist is the mediator. but He is the mediator. Like, like a demonologist is the mediator between, in, in, in my, where, where I am, I'm the mediator. In this case, I'm using catalyst yeah. and mediator as simultaneous yeah. terms. Like, I'm the, so as a demonologist, I am the mediator between the, the, the family and the exorcist, right? Right. And ideologists, when exorcist, like Carl was saying, when the exorcist comes in, the exorcist is the catalyst or the mediator between God and the person. Because okay. God, because the, the priest doesn't have no power. We're human, right? So right. We, we don't have power to push it. Whereas Jesus would be the propitiator. Well, you know, the Jesus human was being, God. Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah. the human being is the mediator, yeah. the intercessory. Mm. Or the intercessor in that case. Mm. You know? So, but does the priest actually have power, though? Because it is thought that the priest has power. Well, I think well, it's I, a connection to God, right? Well, yeah, well, he has a connection to God. I'm sure, it's, Quaker. It's well, it's a it's it's a good question in where they become holy men, why they have a connection to God. And of course, there there's been many people that have wore a collar that uh, have been proven to be very bad people. Um, I think we're once or twice I've heard of that. Why I think where a lot of people tend to lead to people that are priests, why they have the connection to God is because a lot of priests, especially exorcists that take their job seriously, like a follow chat picture, their day from start to finish is praying. That's all they do is pray. They 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 take mass every day, they do liturgy of the word every day, they do liturgy of the Eucharist every day. That is their day every life. That is what they do every single day of their life, 365, of course, especially monks, because a lot of exorcists live a monk life. They That's what they live from start to finish. And that is why they say they have connections, because they study God, they're theologians, and they also live that prayer life. I can't, say, I can't say I do because I don't live in a, a monastery, and, I, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not. You doctor. complain about the food, for one thing. Uh, I would, probably. <laughs> but, yeah. But that, but that is why they say that priests are that connection because, but it's well, also because they're properly trained, you know, properly trained. But are in the they right, in the right in the right of exorcism? Is a pure interpretation of a Catholic yeah. priest, an ordained priest and minister, he is invested with the power of God, and that he can act independent. Of course, he relies on godly power, but he is acting independently on his own volition. He can forgive sins. He can uh, he say can, that he's forgiven. Well, he, he can forgive can sins. Be, well, he can forgive sins and do all that because he have lay of hands because of uh, because of um, of the apostle yeah. apostolic succession. Yeah. You know, apostolic. apostolic succession. That is why because the apostles Jesus said these are my apostles. Yeah. And we, we it's better. Pass out. More that's why lay of hands. That's Protestant why. interpretation. Oh. That's just the human being. He should not be. Thought of as being having well, invested, been invested with these powers. Yeah, well, they're not necessarily. It's not, it's not, it's not necessarily the priest is. No priest, though. no priest would say I have the power, but he would say God has vested this power in me. When you do, when you do the transubstantiation of yeah. transubstantiation, uh, where it's when uh, you do it, when you when you turn the bread into the body of Christ, yeah. right? It's not the priest doing that. 
It's not the priest. No, no, no priest would claim to be doing that on his own power. His and own. that, and, and if you look at Catholicism, that is the it, regardless if we want to talk about exorcism, that is the most. Powerful. Oh, we want to talk about exorcism. Exorc yeah. Exorcisms are exorc exorcisms are <laughs> sacramental. The Eucharist is a sacrament. It is the most powerful thing. It is the most important thing. And why it's people? It's and why Jesus, Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah it's the body of Jesus. But why people tend to forget, and of course Hinduism, Hinduism has exorcism. See, you're, I the think you're more schooled in Hinduism. No, the traditions that I am. No, but you more recently. But have. with Hinduism and exorcism with the fervor dagger and Judaism with yeah. their rituals, um, they have exorcism rituals too, of course. Um, with the exorcism rituals, the Catholicistic belief um, system. When you're talking fast, it's hard to say Catholicism. Yeah, it's just yes. Catholicism. You know, those names, you get um, It's so throat. much going in the wheel, you know, turning in the wheel. But with, or in with, Spanish, Catholica. But with that reason, people tend to forget why, <laughs> Catholic, sure. why Catholic priests are the only ones to be able to do the rite of, ex uh, rite of exorcism. Yeah. is because exorcisms, at the end of it, have mass. And the only person that is able to uh, perform the mass, perform at the mass. Well, the only person that able to uh, do the transubstantiation because of the lay of hands is, of course, the priest. The deacon, of course, can do deacon's mass. If I like, I have the host in my bedroom right now in a tabernacle. I can do a deacon's mass and give it to you because it's already been blessed. It's already the transubstantiation's already happened. But in most times. You're not going to have the host that nature like that. It's going to be at the church in a tabernacle. So you would have the host. You would do the whole liturgy of the word, the liturgy of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So that's why the priest would do the mass at that. That's why most exorcists or all exorcists in the Catholic Church. Can, you can make priests. holy water, can't you, James? Well, of course I can because I can, yeah. do, I can do the sacrament of baptism. Yes. I can do baptism and matrimony. So I can, do, I can do holy water. I can do oil. The only thing, I could technically do exorcisms. Because it is a sacramental, say, but I'm not trained. And I, but say I, you were in a position I, where I, somebody, I would have to perform a deacon's mass, and a deacon's mass is not as powerful as the liturgy of the So it could, would not be as effective, but it could be a temporary measure. It could be a temporary, reason. but I could also do a deliverance. I am, I am well, I could do a deliverance, and that would, that would, in an emergency situation, also be able to uh, subside. It's like birthing a baby in an emergency situation. If you're upon. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to make that decision. Are you going to birth that baby, and are you going to try to cast out that evil? <laughs> well, well, I wouldn't want to live off the difference. Well, a de a deliverance can cast out, but you also don't. What's a deliverance, though? Well, a deliverance, of course, an exorcism has the deliverance in it, right? So basically, when you perform an exorcism, you are delivering the spirit. You, you are telling it to go. But the problem is, with an exorcism, there is many different formats yeah. to that ritual that are far more than a deliverance ritual. So a deliverance usually would be done on somebody that has an attachment. And it is a, it is a lesser ritual with less, uh, yeah. not, not like say less intent, but less indication to it. Like when you're dealing with less spirit, formal, less formal and therefore less complex and less complex. Very good. So, but you could, I would do a deliverance on somebody that has an attachment, um, uh, somebody that maybe is oppressed. Um, because, at that point in time, they don't need that complexity uh, uh, to, to what they're dealing with because it is not so well infused within that person. Yeah, I was talking you about can like cut a, the cord situation. Yeah. Well, I would call that an expulsion, and I have presided at an expulsion uh, a couple of times 
because I, I felt I needed to at the time. Mm. I think if this may, if it does damage, you know, the collateral damage, I'll, you know, pick up the pieces afterwards. I have to act now. Mm. We'll analyze it later. I'm just going to come answer the call mm. and try to inspire confidence in the people I'm helping. Yeah. You know, but then again, I would refer them yeah. to uh, more experienced people yeah. afterwards. Oh, definitely. And like, I, I can't, especially being part of the Catholic Church, you know, mm. Carl, you know, Carl, of course, is not, you know, I have a lot of different things I have to abide by. You know, I, I if, if I deal with a person, there has to be a paper trail. They have to know. There has to be documentation. There has to be many different things. If I don't do it, I get in very much trouble. You know, I did a case many, many, I did a case many, many years ago that I didn't properly handle, right? And I'll, I'll admit it because we all make mistakes. Um, I still helped that person nine years later. And, you know, they were somehow mad at me for me not helping them nine years later, even though I've gotten people involved the past nine years, right? They were mad at me and they said all the stuff about me. And guess what? I got the church involved. If I, if I, Hated them so bad. I wouldn't have gotten the church involved. But they took they told the church all these things that I did nine years ago, which I never really necessarily did. But you know, still, you know, I have a lot of things, even things that I did back when I wasn't part of the church. They still view those things like that. I did not go the proper course on certain things. And of course, well, that, that was wild that it was that long ago. Of course, well, of course, I get. Of course, they. Of course, they. But they reprimand you about it and they speak to you about it because they want to make sure that you're doing the proper protocols. Right, but it's important you, to them. You were new at the time, so you really, you know, you, you wanted to do it. You wanted to help them. Mm. Oh, definitely, and they they understand that, but that just shows you. And I never got it, like. I was a deliverance minister for the Church of Christ before I was a Catholic deacon. Before I went to Catholic seminary, I was a uh, minister with the Church of Christ. And their seminary was hell of a lot easier. <laughs> Definitely easy to go through. I, I, I do respect their church. and um, It was a good part of my life. It really um, was the foundation of my faith. Um, it really led me to believe in God, especially when I was in the military. Um, but the same thing, though, I did not understand the, the, the Catholic system for a long time. I did not understand it. I did not understand why it took so long for the Catholic Church to get involved with somebody. But now being a part of the Catholic Church and be, being more knowledgeable and understandable, I understand why it takes them so long to get involved because they want to take the proper precautions. Because when you deal with people, it's dangerous. Well, James, do you feel more effective? battling demons now that you embrace the catholic faith i feel like i i feel like i am more effective by getting them the right help if not You're going through the and not and not and not misdiagnosing them with the d word and then and then being royally fucked which is up always you know you know you hear that we get email contacts and all the time. You know, social yeah. media people contact us and say i have a demon in my house sometimes they say i think we have a demon Demonic influence, but that's a red flag to me automatically. If I hear that word, it's a red flag. It's a red flag because if it's if exactly it's scary, that's why we're doing the series because the demon gets thrown around a lot. Yeah, but, you know, it's not to say that this doesn't exist, it's more to say, what is it? What is it really? You know, not just from TV, but what, what is it? You know, what are demons to uh cultures to people to religions all of that 
And what's your perspective of it? What's the difference between that and say, you know, a typical haunting and um, what may be a spirit in the house? Some people, it's all your grandmother. We don't know. Yeah. Well, you, I think like perfect Carl said perfectly that, you know, his brother Keith believes every spirit is d- demonic. Maybe his yeah, my identical twin brother. Really? Keith. Yeah, but it but in that same token of nature as well is I don't necessarily believe that. I believe there is a distinct distinction um, between the human generated spirit and non human demonic. Non human demonic. Yeah, I think there could be differences. I think there could be mm-hmm. de- different possibilities. Yes, I did take up. I'm sorry, um, but but I definitely think like. With Keith's ideologies and beliefs that everything is demonic, I don't necessarily uh, agree with that. But I don't. I also don't say that it's not necessarily wrong, because I believe that when you're doing this kind of work, and I tell people this, and you know, yeah, I dabble a little bit. I do investigate, especially when Carl and I do uh, a, a, an event and this investigation part of it. You know, of course, I, I I'm contractually part of that investigation. You know, they they asked me to do it. I have to do it. You know, I'm not going to say no, um, because that that is what they're requesting. But in the same token, I also say to to the same token, when you're speaking to something that you can't see, it's dangerous, and you have to take the proper precautions. Right. It's very. Well, it's like walking into a room with the lights off. Yeah. You, you don't know? know what you're going to walk into unless you know that room. You know, there's a floor beneath you. You know, yeah. there's a ceiling above you, but you don't know what objects are. Yeah. Be walking around virtually blind. Right. Well, I could do that in my house because I'd map this house out. But if you're in a new place, you, yeah. you're going to walk into something. Well, that's a good analogy too. You're if you're in a familiar place, mm-hmm. then you know your way around. So you yeah. never could trip. You could never fall on the stairs here with the lights off. That's just impossible. You never walk into a chair. There are many wishes upon me that. No, well. no, no. I don't. Now, now tonight I'm going to fall down the stairs. Oh, no, you're going to fall. <laughs> so next show we're on like James can't be with us tonight, but there's a reason for that. And yes. I'm still I'm dealing with it as best I can. I see. <laughs> now you said you could get around your house with the lights on. You said it. You said it. Sure. Yeah. Whether that'll ever happen, I don't know, but you said it. <laughs> Step out on faith, dude. <laughs> Be a good Catholic. Step on on. Uh, yes. What do you guys think about like roles and um, unclean spirit, which is a common term in the Bible that mm-hmm. comes up often as a demon? Is that really a demon or is, is a demon something that never existed as human? Also, I would ask, you know, uh, what about these roles? Like, do... Uh, spirits are, you know, bad intentions entities. Maybe step up to roles that they don't actually own. Well, if I understand your question, you're talking about the dis- the difference between human spirits and demonic ones. Now, it's hard to define what would be a uh, a human spirit that has a wicked disposition and what would be actually a demon. They should be two right. different animals, two different yeah. species non-physical animals, but uh, I've encountered entities that really seem to be spirits, like human spirits that just, yeah. you know... They were jackass when they were alive. Yeah, they, they brought that jackassness over to yeah. the next world, you know, though they're staying around our world. 
And they really don't seem demonic. You know, they'll move things. They'll lose things on you. They'll show up and scare you, but they're not. Uh, i got to choose some ice. You're influencing me, man. Sorry, it's so good. It is. But, uh, you know, you got human. And there's your haunting. Like wick, Wicked Uncle Joe or this, this spirit that's been to the house. He, you know, he was around in the time of the Civil War, and he's, he's been Or serial that died, yeah. and they linger or around when they murder Or something happened. worse, yeah. Is it brought them so much... And they keep so replaying fun. that evil yeah. act. Yeah. That right. Act. But the demonic, it's a whole different feeling when there's a demonic presence around. You feel oppressed. You feel something heavy. You feel like, oh, I just don't feel right. I feel sick. I can't deal with this. Yeah. Whereas a human spirit is not going to be that invasive. It's going to appear... And it can't do a lot of damage except scare you, whereas the demonic has an agenda. Yeah. And they, and so there is a, a difference. But if you ask my brother, yeah. he would say you should just, you know, he thinks in black and white terms. And I'm not saying that's worse or better. Yeah. You know, when I say, when I'm theorizing, and I think there are human spirits and demonic spirits, I do so with an amount of trepidation because mm-hmm. I I can't know I'm dealing with the unknown. That's, yeah, as a dem- demonologist, I am an expert in the unknowable. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, suppose it is that way. Suppose all unseen beings are demons. Are demons. You know, yeah. it's part of my mind wonders that. Yeah. That's the ideology of the Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. You know, that it's, if it's that, you, that spirits are impossible. So if you're being visited by a spirit, a detective spirit, that's demonic. Yeah, and, you know, they, they hit upon that a little bit because he hit pretty well. Is You know, we were talking about Brian Cano earlier because you, you you sent me a photo. This is the one-year anniversary today, the 24th of April, of uh, when Brian, Brian J. Cano, or Cano, his pronounced name, Brian J. Cano, drove from uh, Syracuse, no, Schenectady, Schenectady, New York, and came and visited Elise and me because we were on a werewolf chase. Mm-hmm. And he came really? up there, yeah. And that was well, just before, yeah. We well, the werewolf is actually more like a dog, a dog, female, and uh, you know, there was human attributes, and it had been photographed and all. But we didn't see it the night that Brian was yeah. here. But I got a nice picture of Elise and me and and, and Brian, and yeah, that's a good memory. One year ago already. But, where did it go? But the story of Brian is, uh, you know, Brian and I are good friends as well as Carl's with him. Um, but you know. He has said on interviews before, before, and of course in personal conversations as well, he has said, you know, the best thing I can tell people with my answer is when it comes to what are ghosts. And his answer, of course, my answer would be, I don't know. And I think that in the same relation goes back to what are demons. We have these uh, things that were written by people um, much smarter than I, much smarter than Carl, and Carl's pretty damn smart though. But I can talk. Um, but in the same token of it, though, these things have been passed down for a very long time. So you feel as there are many people as value but in, in in reality. In reality, best answer at the end of the day is we don't, we don't know, but we can take away. And that's not what people want to hear. They say you're a demonologist. I'm yeah. going to the person who's supposed to know. Well, and that's you, when you we t- tell me. And, that, and that's where we apply the study. And that's where people tend to forget. We apply the study. Things that have been um, maybe eyewitnessed by these theologians or by eyewitnessed by exorcists or yeah. eyewitnessed by former demonologists that are no longer on this realm. You know, things that have been written, like the Malefice, you know, things that have been written in that. So it's, it's just like we take a lot of those things, we apply it, we try to apply it, but at the end of the day, it's not a fact. 
So we try to accumulate all these different ideologies, all these different um, thoughts, theories. Right. right. So we can't say it's fact or not. Yeah. You know, we don't know. So we ponder these things and, you know, we look to the people that actually study them like you guys. So, Right, you know, we so appreciate it because you know, we don't provide time to look and, and investigate the stuff. But in the same, you know, that it's not a fact. We have had our experiences, and we have had our experiences that correlate to a lot of the studies that are out there. Like I've dealt with things that I've read in books, and it's not because I've taken it as my perception of reality whatsoever. Multiple people observed this. It wasn't just something I observed. Multiple people observed. And these things are written in books of well, this is what you observe. And so I've, I've seen that. I've been a part of what has been written down. But not a lot of people have these experiences. You know, people only will ever hear the word demon. They'll never experience it. And that's kind of the thing with the paranormal. It's like a lot of people don't believe in it until it happens. Right, it's happening. It happens, and then they go, "Oh, wait a minute! Mm -hmm. How did that uh, can move across the counter?" That is a um, a thing that I think that happens to more people than they like to admit. Hmm. Yeah. And, and hence, the popularity of because they often won't talk about it because yeah. it upsets their interpretation yeah. of the world, how yeah. things work. Yeah. This can't be, but now it's happening. Yeah. Right. I really don't want to discuss it. Yeah, I, I'm a big supporter, you know, and I'll, I'll say this on record because I don't mind, but I think a lot of the, what people deal with, and, um, and this is what I've uh, come, of course, to have realized in dealing with people, is uh, what I deal with is not spirits or demons most of the time. It's actually poltergeist or thought form or yeah, uh, this is very activity. Yeah. I feel a lot of the things that I've dealt with or been perceived by people and becomes reality because they put so much thought and perception into it. And I, it's so it. I feel yeah, like that is more something that I've dealt with more than a demon or spirit. And that's my true opinion, of course. But that is from what has been written down of what a poltergeist is, what a thought form is. It fits to the T. People tend to forget poltergeists have multiple levels. They have five levels of uh, classification of, uh, of uh, how they attribute to what they're dealing with. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, five levels of poltergeist. You know that, Carl, right? Yeah. I think yeah. actually you might have wrote that at some point. That actually, yeah, that is, I, I've written that. Yeah, Probably. So, so, but thank you for breaking up. I'm glad you did. Yeah, but, thank you. So there's five levels of classifications <laughs> of People like to say equated to noisy spirit, but in reality, a poltergeist is a creation by PK activity where you are creating something and it becomes a force of intelligence where it's able to do and manipulate. It seems to be, again, we're speaking in theory and supposition, but it seems to be a created spirit. Yeah. You know, yeah. a mind. Yeah. Uh, and they can be subtle. I mean, a, a poltergeist can move a chair across the room. I've been twice. I've been in a chair that moved just me in the chair, moved all the way back across the room. You know, and that, that seems to be PK activity. And that, yeah. And but, that's, yeah. But, but why can't a poltergeist be what moves a planchette on a Ouija board? Yeah. Well, that's, but that, but that's why, that's why you hear people use the terminology poltergeist-like activity. I've heard it so many times. Uh, I had like poltergeist-like activity. I think that's in the same concept of something moving. Mm -hmm. I think that's people's mindset because people tend to realize, forget the realization of what a poltergeist is by, you know, by people's opinions, of course, because it's not fact. Yeah. 
But if you look at, uh, of course, parapsychology, poltergeists and PK activity and, of course, like thought form are very, very big things a part of parapsychology, telekinesis, um, telepathy, you know? So, Mm. Yeah. It's very poorly understood. You can talk more about what a poltergeist does than what it is. Of course, and you can also we could also talk about the levels too, like how uh, most people will re- think because where this where it's important in demonology is with level five. A lot of people miss it. Level five is basically furniture moving, beds moving. Um, seems very negative in nature. It's very high wind. It's there's a lot of theatrics going on, and a lot of people correlate that to something demonic because. That's what everybody's conception of a demonic entity is that it's going to come out, start moving chairs and beds, but a demon doesn't doesn't do that. It, it works in the shadows. It's very manipulative. It won't come out and always do the theatrical things like that. So, like you have a, a doll's head that has a pull string that doesn't touch the pull string, but the doll's head moves anyway. A demon could do that. A demon it's definitely could do that. Poltergeist oh. could do that, right? But a poltergeist could do that too. Yeah, especially if. Um, and this is where where items of attachment do they have yeah. attachment or do this person's is there uh, something really invested in that, that object object by the person where they put so much perception in that object where the object starts to have its own conceived life takes on a life of its own of, of, of its own and that can also be a form of thought form as especially well especially creepy when applied to dolls but because it's applied to an object bodies. instead of applied invisibly right no. how about if it like just just does it out of spite. Well, a pol- well, that's that spite is to get a ten draw attention yeah. to it. Well, poltergeist creates his own intelligence eventually. Yeah. It's right. like in a way, it's like creating artificial intelligence. But in a, in a way, you are, but it's invisible in, in sense. But you're creating so much, and it yeah. can. It, a poltergeist pol- can, can have negative reaction. It, it can it can create havoc. Yeah. Uh, it seems to have limitations. I've heard yeah. a very po- powerful poem. It can't possess you, of course. It's not going to possess right. you. They can have a voice. People don't know yeah. that sometimes poltergeist will evince a voice, yeah. project a voice. Yeah. Um, but it seems to have some limitations. Why don't poltergeists, oh, they have triple trip people down the stairs. But why aren't the poltergeists throwing people out of windows? Yeah. You know, I was in a case in Coventry, Rhode Island, with poltergeist activity. And uh, I was holding a, a remote thermal gauge in my right hand. And a, a center of activity was the master bedroom, and I was there. And uh, I just happened to turn to the hallway, and I saw this knife coming at me. This was not scary because it happened too quickly. But it wasn't like somebody threw it, like like one of the kids. You know, it wasn't coming down like that. It wasn't spinning. It was, like, coming at me, like kind of like that. And it hit the instrument in my hand, but it didn't hit my hand. Not that I think it would have done real damage to my hand, but... It hit the plastic casing of the instrument I held Damn. and it on the floor. And I was just flattered that it picked was me up. Right. Was it real? Or was it a perception that you saw this night? Uh, we actually saw this, this manifestation. That fell and of course, I went right to the hallway to see if any of the children could have done that. But no, nobody was around. They couldn't have gotten away fast enough. Wow. Yeah, And that was also one of the places where my chair went back across the wall. Uh, a dinner plate appeared over my head. And smashed down in front of me. It just, I didn't see it appear, but I saw it smash down in front of me. Everybody in the room attested that that just appeared over my head. 
Too bad we weren't really cavorting back then, because you know, it was. I that was, was right on the cusp of you. That's just before I knew you. Was that was that a year before actually? Oh, I was I was alive actually. I wasn't a sperm or anything like that. Too <laughs> <laughs> sperm myself. Yeah. I have to answer. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> my dad's balls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. I don't know. You were pretty good. Sperm. I'm sorry. I got a cool question. You guys are awesome. <laughs> but you guys are funny as hell. So I love it. I love it. I love it. I we have to have a humor because we can go insane with this oh, shit. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I had something push me down the stairs when I was a child. And oh, really? I, yes. I thought it was dynamic, uh, d- demonic. Demonic. Oh, who think I'd be drinking? Demonic. Uh, <laughs> we're we're denominologists now. Yeah. Anyway. A lot of people in the paranormal have a, a, a history of haunted childhoods. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's in the same token too, where I I didn't actually, so I can't relate to that. I did not. My 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 really came from the search of God. What got me involved in the paranormal, but um, it also really falls into the same line of why. Most psychologists get into psychology because they dealt with a personal experience in their life that made them wonder why that a person would do something like that. Why would it happen to them? And it's the same token for people that deal with the paranormal. I had a personal friend who was um, compelled to research the paranormal because of a childhood experience. Yes. And that is Jason Hawes, known oh. as Hunters, and now Ghost yes. Nation. You had an experience too as a, a child? We both yeah, did. Both did yeah. wow. He ran with it. I, I totally blocked it all out. But Jason's <laughs> experience, he confided that to me. And, of course, that was the storyline in that they used in Ghost Hunters. The, you know, Jason's mysterious experience, what, what compelled him to get into paranormal research, you know, uh, what happened to him, we'll keep it a mystery. And then later in uh, Paranormal State, Ryan Buell, ran with that storyline that he had some terrific demonic experience when he was uh, young, very young. Uh, I won't reveal Jason's experience, so he did tell me. I mean, it wasn't anything you wouldn't guess at if you yeah. thought about it, but, you know, out of respect that he did confide that to me. I won't get into detail, that but he had something that got him interested in yeah. ghost hunting. Really? Yeah. I was in, I believe, uh, 1998. I met the spring of 1998. I met Jason Hawes. Hmm. Let me see. Wait a minute. You know, yeah, probably around that time. If, unless it was 97, my memory on it is imperfect. But uh, I moved to New York for a while. And then when I came back, I got more involved with TAPS, the Atlantic Paranormal Society. My involvement was on hiatus for a while. But I, I met him. I, I answered an ad. In the Warwick Beacon, somebody was looking for a paranormal and experienced paranormal investigator. And Jason and I hit it off right away. But with the advent of the show, things exploded in the popular paranormal, but they also, in another sense, deteriorated because that blew apart some of the friendships. Yeah, they just, you know, eroded. Yeah. Distancing. Right. <laughs> you were on a lot of those shows. Yeah, quite a I few. Like, those are, are kind of considered the best shows. By the way, Carl. Jason was already looking to start a TV show, but I gave it its concept. You know, I was involved in its uh, development and production. 
You know, I came up with a good concept for, to launch the show, and that's what became the premise for Ghost Hunters. But then there was some erosion, and it got away from reality and became very formulaic. Yeah, but I, I am pleased when people refer to the first couple of years of Ghost Hunters when the demonologists were on it as they, their golden time. But it was a very successful show and became a franchise. Yeah. Yeah, and you were saying that, you know, before, the, of course, the shows you had books, you know, and, you know, a lot of people tend to forget of people like the Ghost Club with uh, uh, Charles Dickens and uh, Bad oh, yes. The Hellfire Club and the Ghost Club um, and all that. You know, tend to forget that. You know, people tend to forget about Harry Price and, of course, Hans Holst is popular now again because, of, of course, the show. But, you know, p people tend to forget right. of, of the precursors of us. Uh, yeah. Of, of, of they were the big names. They were the big names. They were the idea of um, duo de demonology, right? That comes from the. King James. Uh, demonology comes, uh, duo, of course, is two for Latin, but demonology comes sure. from King James, which, of course, um, which most people don't realize as well, uh, inspired William Shakespeare to write Macbeth because of uh, uh, King James' demonology. So it is... It is the um, conjuration of the witches. Yes, it is, it is in a way, um, is, uh, is very important in history because Macbeth is very important in literature. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's, uh, you know, demonology has its roots. 1836. No, no, no. We're talking about 1606. 1606. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. I, no, but it's easy to equate that yeah. because you know, this was, you know, the, what you're talking about the 14th century. 1436 is the Malifice, I believe. Well, yeah. Which, and the, said, which is yeah. the 15th century. And that's the emergence of the Renaissance. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You can think of uh, very loosely defined the middle ages. Yeah. goes from 500 A.D. to 1350 A.D., but there's a lot of change in Europe at that time. Yeah. And then you've got this Renaissance, which means the rebirth, yeah. you know, this uh, age of enlightenment, yeah. which was in strata. Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. And the word demonology wasn't really uh, thoughtfully used until King James actually uh, yeah. kind of embroidered the, uh, embroidered the word and uh, the culture. Um, mm. Because... It really wasn't, you know. Right. It was. It was. It you could say that modern demonology originates at that time. The, Basically, uh, from the concept of King. Beginning James. of the seventeenth century, you know, and King James. You know. Yeah. We see demonology. That was the common parlance of the time. Yeah, that was the like, interpretation of it. Yeah, back then. Yeah, up until the fifteen hundreds, the court language in in England was French. Yeah. Is everything French was better? You know, it was you know erudite, but then uh, you know. Then it's this uh, romanticized English by our interpretation, you know, thee and thou and all. It's, you know, it's just a majestic way. I think the the King James Version of the Bible is just majestic. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my favorite version. And it's more, I think it's more accurate. Yeah, definitely. You know. Well, I think he also does, of course, uh, King James adds a little flair into it. Well, he does. There is, yeah, that's interpretive in some ways, you know. Well, and, and just give you an example, like Jesus would say, you know, truly I say unto you, uh, in the New International Version, that is, uh, I, tell, I tell you the truth of the Holy Bible. Uh, the King James Version is, verily, verily, I say unto thee. I kind of like that talk. You know, when I was in, uh, in Sunday school as a boy, going to Bethany Lutheran Church in Cranston, Rhode Island, my father's church, I assume, you know, I'm like six, seven years old. I thought that's the way people talked in, you know, in Jerusalem. And I, when I heard there's a Jerusalem around, I could go to Jerusalem. You know, it's, I know people have been to Jerusalem. You know, I didn't know there was a Jerusalem 
you know, and a Galilee in Rhode Island. And, uh, but I thought, and let's say by the, up until I was seven years old, I think it was, I just assumed that that's the way people, that that's the way Jesus talked, you know. And you, you talk like people. that now at 65 years old. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, 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 I've been told I talk like Adam West in Batman. <laughs> no. Yeah. Carl comes in my house. Ardo, how are you? Uh, not that much. <laughs> or out there, James. Oh, out there, James. Yes. Uh, greetings to thee. <laughs> greetings to thee, James. I'm here to mentor you. <laughs> now you can what I do. This is my boy, and I'll mentor you. My squire. We're turning into Monty Python now. <laughs> Don't you put me a fresh wound? Yeah. Oh my god. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> what would we do without Monty Python? Yeah. Let's do our next show about the origins of Monty Python because I know something about Oh my this. god. You we know. were just talking Let's about that. Bring out that. your dad. Oh god. Bring out your dad. Oh, uh, we can't go there yet. I'm happy. Too soon. Too soon. Yeah, yeah, Graham Chapman and Michael Palin and John Cleesar. I love those guys. Yeah. But that actually started. There was a show, a British show. It was in black and white. And it was, you know, like almost kinescope, you know, it was like 1960, because it was 1968, and there was a show, I mean, the Beatles had just put out Sgt. Pepper's two years before, and uh, doing the White Album and all that, and there in 1968, there's this show on, this English show called Do Not Attempt to Adjust Your Television, oh, totally black that. and white, and uh, it was this performing troupe, and uh, they, that was their name, you know, like, Do Not Attempt to Adjust Your Television, that was the name of the comedy troupe. And they would have an act called the Bonzo Dog Band. It was just the players, the cast on the show. And the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band would come out and do these goofy songs. And they'd do skit after skit. And that evolved into Monty Python's Flying Circus, later just known as Monty Python. And that's how they started. You know? These guys are walking in circles. Yeah. Yeah. Monty Python. <laughs> Jimmy and Stitch, you've got... Uh, uh, Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield, composed when he was 17 years old. That became a theme to The Exorcist. And if you listen to that album all the way through, what was then side two because it was two-sided LP, you have this uh, this blending of instruments, and you hear this British voice that's like, Grand Piano, Glockenspiel, Acoustic <laughs> and introducing, you know... Well, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's
<laughs> New England. New, New England. Where does New England. England come from, I guess? Yeah, we are the New England. But if you listen to them speak in British, it does sound like our, our words. It does. It does. It does. They say I hate that word. Yeah, they do. The garage. Park the car in the garage. Park the car. They're very aren't they? You know. You uh, well, 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 on that weird note, what do you guys think about the Bridgewater Triangle? Oh, my word, yes. The Bridgewater Triangle. You've been there. I yes, I have. So much has been reported there, I think. It's just the- yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I tend to, you know, I tend to look at uh, the realities of anything that has something that causes a haunting, a.k.a. natural things. And uh, people tend to forget in the Bridgewater Triangle and where the Bridge, uh, Bermuda Triangle is, there tends to be a more uh, aspect of light lines. Um, yes, I agree. And I think where there are more essential things of uh, ley lines or uh, uh, things of travel energy, high uh, maybe water because water is energy. But anything that has anything to do with uh, the the movement of life, basically, I think has uh, essential points. So maybe the Bridgewater Triangle, even though it is not technically a triangle um, and and square footage. Well, you can draw it. You can, but it's not necessarily a triangle, but um, within that area, it's an isosceles triangle. Within, well, with, you got to It's not a rectangular triangle. But you got to include Swansea in that because Swansea was the yeah. Um, well, who gets the final? I think it's gradual. Start it's just, of King Philip's War. Yeah. Right. So, oh yes. Now what it gets incorporated into this is even quantum speculation. You yeah. know that there are portals, there are vertices, there are you know conduits where the, there's rifts in the dimensional fabric where these beings. I agree. Travel back and forth, which would explain why Bigfoot is there and suddenly not. And you know. Yeah, I think I think anything of high impact uh, can have possibly. Which I've been more interested, in. and that's a, something that uh, at least Jamarco Carlson has been reading up on quite a bit, studying actually. Yeah. She doesn't say she's studying, but she is. Yeah. You know, no, it's, it's, what could cause these manifestations? It's, it's very interesting. You know, I think that's. You know, I think the biggest debate, you know, people, of course, with limestone and, you know, of course, how it uh, how it uh, uh, collects energy. And, of course, that's why I love places with limestone. Rhode Island is kind of a portal. Well, I, 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 will, I will say, though, I, I've had more collection of cases in the triangle. Maybe, that, of course, that is perception. Yeah, I think there is. But some kind I, of I, I also involved. tend to think is a lot of people tend to forget, forget uh, a lot of that triangle has those uh High power lines that go throughout. And what is the apex? That's very true. The apex. Look at what that power. We talk about high EMF and what it does to people. Look what those power lines. Have you ever been under those power lines? You feel sick to your stomach. You can feel it. My teeth tingle. I can feel it in my teeth. You can hear it. If you can hear it, it's a really good charge. Uh, Huckamuck Swamp. The the power lines are right near there. The power lines go right through there. In fact, I was on a TAPS investigation of the Huckabuck Swamp. Huckabuck Swamp is supposed to be one of the worst parts of that area, too. 15 years ago now. And uh, I didn't get any paranormal activity that night, probably because Brian Hunt was there and he screwed everything up. Just be in there. But uh, I took a picture... I took a picture of a transformer there, and it was sprayed with orbs. So that shows there was an emittance of electric power. Yeah. You know, and I don't think there's anything. Yes, basically paranormal. It's like 
No, I think yeah. I think there's areas throughout the whole country, like Alaska, Iowa, that have their own triangles where activity happens more in within those locations. And it's probably environmental reasons. But yeah, uh, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, you know, I've I've had the pleasure to investigate from here from here to California. I've had the pleasure. And but I would say some of my most favorite locations are of course on the East Coast because it, it, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, it, it's the birth of this country in, in many different ways. You've got the study and exploration, exploration group, uh, the Spooky South Coast, which is, you know, a popular radio show. Yeah. Jeff Belanger, Tim Weisberg, Matt Lanise formerly, and uh, Spike formerly. And uh, they concentrate on the, the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm. Right. Ground. Chris Belzano. Alan Alves and yep. Dark Woods. And, and I just did an excerpt. Uh, you know Sam Beltrusis? You ever heard of Sam Beltrusis? Yeah, yeah. Yes. He just did something on Freetown South. For, uh, me and him, did, I was part of the Freetown State Forest chapter. I did a walkthrough with him, and we talked about uh, uh, the murders and this stuff like that. But, you know, of course, that has a lot of bleed over in the Fall River as well, too. You know? Yeah. Spills over. Yeah. Mm. Paranormal investigative team was there last year in Freestown State Forest. They found the reason they went there is because they yeah. found a somebody found a a goat that had been killed, a white goat that had been ritualistically uh, slaughtered. Yeah, I, you know. See, that's the thing with these um, certain uh, places that have cults, let's say, attached to them. Occult practices, yeah. Yeah, occult. Thank you. Yes, and. We're actually investigating something that has the same thing, and I swear, because I do feel, we'll say I'm a little bit clairsentient, that it's not in the cemetery itself, it's actually in the woods, mm. and um, every time I go there, I don't want to be there, and I woods with contact it. A menacing personality, just formidable, something about the woods there. I don't yes. feel that everywhere, and it's not because right. of the reputation. I just do feel it there. It has a resonance to it you pick up on. James and I met about 10 years ago, and we didn't know what it was going to lead to. You know, we had a good association. We kind of lost touch, but not totally out of touch. But uh, in 2019, James came up with a unique concept. We knew we wanted a partnership, but James gave it the name of Duo Demonology. He explained why, and uh, it's a demonology research unit and uh, we're trying to legitimize demonology that is the purpose of duo demonology and uh, we're just i think we're a charismatic uh, union here yeah you know yeah, yeah. lectures are always different you know you won't even the same the question we don't get a totally different answer but, you know, a different approach to that answer right and that's <laughs> the best part about it is you guys have different different views yeah and well, you hear us, we even start debating at some point. Yeah, you know? I love it. And, 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 of course, or you I know, start interviewing you, you know. And, of course, you know, to, to the same tone, you know, Carl's very well-versed, and I respect the man. He's been around for a long time. Um, very well-educated, as you can tell. Of, co of course, when you hear me speak compared to this man, you can you can very adequately hear that. But, you know, it, so doing demonology takes his uh, very extensive amount of years of research and, of course, my not so extensive amount, but it, it, it's two different token uh, of belief systems and ideologies, and I've dealt with things that he's never dealt with, mm -hmm. uh, maybe necessarily, or 
looked at it that way. So we, we take that and combine it and we approach it in many different ways. And I think that's what's powerful about doing demonology because we're able to assess it in different ways. And yeah, it's, it's imperative, it's important. Awesome. But it makes us better for it because, you know, we're like, make a unit. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Sense right. of completion. You guys are great together. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love talking to you guys. We've had so much fun tonight. We have. I, I always do. Always. Oh, you know. So where can we find you? Yeah, get in touch with us. The primary way to get in touch with Duo Demonology is the ubiquitous Facebook. Yeah. You know, we're not that hard to find. Go to Facebook. Do a search for Duo Demonology, and then you will also find Panorama Paranormal that is directed by Elise Carlson. Elise right, Carlson. You know, so, uh, and she's indispensable to us. So, Panorama Paranormal on Facebook, you don't need any really any more information than that, but it leads to other means of contact. And Duo Demonology on Facebook. We hope that you enjoyed our interview. Here are the two EVPs that we mentioned in the front of the podcast. What you got? <laughs> Just gonna ask how many demonic cases. What you got? <laughs> Just gonna ask how many demonic cases. For a long time, I did not understand it. I did not understand why it took so long. For a long time, I did not understand it. I did not understand why it took so long. That's right. If you rewind this and you go to one hour, five minutes, 50 seconds, you'll hear the first one. If you then fast forward and go to one hour, 25 minutes, 22 seconds, you'll hear the second. Chris and I are not 100% sure on what they say, and we would love to hear what you guys think. Exactly. You know, please let us know. You can reach out to us at Dark Horse Paranormal or uh, Bigfoot and a Bunny on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can even email us at dhparanormal at gmail.com or bigfootandabunny at gmail.com. Please visit us at www.darkhorseparanormal.com or even bigfootandabunny.com. And definitely check out our live show. It's every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on www.uprntalkradio.com. That's United Public Radio. Stay tuned for our conclusion. Stunning conclusion. Of the D-Word Series 6.3. Oh my goodness, that's three sixes. <gasps> and we've got a twist for you. We'll see you next time. Thank you guys. Love you guys so much. Bye-bye.